Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Troy Aikman is a Hall of Fame quarterback as he led the Dallas Cowboys to three Super Bowl championships. Post-career, you probably know him as a football announcer or for his charity work or his latest venture into better for you beer with eight elite lager, which I happen to love. But did you know that Troy is a huge fan of My Buddy Green? He's a meditator and a believer in the Pegan diet, which our friend Dr. Mark Hyman coined at our very first Revitalize event back in 2014. At any rate, you're going to see a different side of Troy Aikman today on the show. Troy, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Good to be on. So great to have you. And what I'm curious, I'm curious about a lot of things, but what I'm most curious about to start is how your philosophies changed on health and well-being from your days of being professional quarterback in the NFL at the peak of your career and, and where you are today and, and walk us through your evolution. Cause I know there, it, it, it has been an evolution for sure. Yeah. 100%. It's a good question. Goes back. You know, I started, I've been a lifelong athlete, of course, since I was a kid, I started taking my, I guess my being in good shape and condition going back to when I was probably about 10 years old, but let's move forward through college. And then once I got to the Dallas Cowboys, you know, health to me was really all from a physical realm. It was about lifting weights and getting stronger and doing agility drills to prove foot quickness and conditioning and cardiovascular and all those things. And that, that took me until I was about 26 years old. And then we had, we had a tough loss back when I was playing to the 49ers in the NFC championship game back in 1994. And after that game, I just decided, you know, I'm going to really commit myself to getting in the best possible shape that I can get in. And that's when I started jogging on a regular basis. I pay, started paying a lot more attention to my diet. I wasn't eating, you know, prior to that, up until I was about 26, I was eating pizza and hamburgers and, you know, a lot of fast foods and things like that and didn't really think much of it. And because of my metabolism and my age, you know, it didn't really impact me, at least as best I could tell. So I started down that, that path in 94 of paying a little bit more attention to, to nutrition but still was not nearly as aware of, of it all as I've become here in the last few years. And so I went through the rest of my playing career with that same mentality, kind of sticking to the same principles, my same conditioning and things of that nature. I hired a trainer after I retired about five years into retirement and he put me on a program that really kind of changed my body. And it just, I had back issues when I was playing. So this began to really help me. And it wasn't until probably about two, two and a half years ago that I ratcheted up my diet even more. So once I started following Mark Hyman on Instagram, and now I'm a disciple of the Pegan diet, I've really everything he preaches, I'm a disciple of, and I've noticed huge gains. And the biggest of that being on the nutritional side in what I'm eating, uh, and it's impacted every single element of my being, quite honestly. Huge fan of Mark. Mark's a dear friend. And some of our listeners may know this, but Mark attended our, we, we used to do this event called Revitalize 
until, you know, the events stopped, obviously, but they're coming back. But, but we did an event called Revitalize in 2014 and I was interviewing Mark and he coined the term vegan diet out at our event and it stuck and he wrote a book about it. And, you know, I think it's so attractive because we tend to live in a world where diets are mutually exclusive, you know, where it's, oh, you're vegan, you're paleo. But right. Mark said, you know, no, it's vegan. Like it's going to be plant-based, plant-forward diet, very little meat cut out the grains, refined carbs and so forth. And, it, and it's more inclusive and it works. Yeah, it's worked for me. And I, I tried the vegan diet briefly, but I've always found that protein was good for me. Animal protein. I felt like my body responded favorably to that over the years. I, I, I just kind of went based on how I felt. So I, I thought that his diet really hit the sweet spot for me. And then it really made a lot more sense once you take into consideration the source of the food that you're getting. And so it answered a lot of questions for me. I, I've read a couple of his books and it's been extremely enlightening for me. And so now, like you just said, heavy with vegetables, more so than I've ever been before, but I complement that with grass-fed beef or pasture-raised chicken, and, and, and it's worked really well for me. I, you know, I'm reminded, I say this, that a buddy of mine that I used to play ball with told me that you never hear young people say they're in the best shape of their life. You know, you only hear people that are old say that. Well, you know, I'm 55 years old, and I will tell you, I feel like I'm in the best shape of my life in every way, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, and a big part of that. I've never met Dr. Mark Hyman in person, but he's been a big reason as to why I feel as good as I feel. Well, after this call, we'll, we'll talk. I could, I'm happy to introduce you if you've never met him. Yeah, I would love to. I, we've texted a little bit, but I've not actually met him. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of, you know, you mentioned grass-fed beef. I'm curious with the vegan diet, what works for you in terms of frequency of meat? Is it, you know, once a week? Is it once a month? Like, how do you think about meat consumption in general? What works for you? Well, I'll have... Uh... I would say once a day, I eat, whether it's chicken or beef, I eat a lot of fish, but I have a protein source. One of those three, pretty much every, well, for lunch or dinner. And I do the intermittent fasting, which he's a proponent of. So I have a big lunch at noon, I eat dinner at five. I have a, a guy who comes in and does meal prep for me and he does organic granola that I'll have. It's just kind of something I'll have about eight o'clock at night before I go to bed. I make sure and get my rest as, as best I can, but that's pretty much what I eat during the course of a day. And I, I don't feel hungry the times that I'm not eating. It's really pretty surprising that for someone my size, I don't feel deprived. I don't feel hunger, uh, when I'm, you know, sticking to that intermittent fasting. One of my favorite lines for, from Mark is you can't exercise your way out of a bad diet and yeah. you clearly have a, have a strong foundation there. You also mentioned that kind of expanded your view on what health and wellness look like. You talked about mental, physical, spiritual. Can you talk a little bit about the spiritual component and how you've evolved there? I have a couple of things I've read in prepping for this interview. One, you're, you're a fan of meditation and two, you're a big fan of Michael Singer's Untethered Soul, where if I were to do a poll of former NFL players, my guess is that book would not be top of the polling. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny that I started trying to read the book. It was recommended to me a couple of years ago, actually about four years ago. And I started in on it and it just didn't really resonate with me. It just, the time for me wasn't that. 
and I, I read the first few chapters or so and just got a little bit bored with it and put it down and didn't pick it up again. And then I ran into a few other people who recommended the book again. And I kind of thought, yeah, you know, I don't know. I just, I just didn't really hit me. And then for whatever reason, I decided to pick it up and I'd been meditating for close to about seven years at that time. I'd been to some retreats and I was meditating because I had heard that it was so good for you. But I, I don't know that I was really realizing the benefits of meditation, but I continued to do it. And it wasn't until I read The Untethered Soul the second time that I then picked it up and it just, everything started to click and a, a, a lot of doors began to be unlocked. And for the first time, I felt that I now know why I'm meditating. I, I wasn't, before I was just meditating and now I felt like I was meditating to to live a better life, to be more mindful, to take the meditation practice and apply it then to everyday living. And before I would just meditate and then I, I would be done with it and then move through my day and really not give any of it much more consideration. But that book just hit me and resonated with me in a way that has been life-changing. And so I've kind of tried to get my hands on as much of his stuff and many others, quite honestly, but I try to get my hands on as much of his stuff as I possibly can. And I've learned that exercising the mind is much like I had done my whole life as an athlete and exercising my body and muscles and, and things of that nature. I reckon I'm a, I'm a big disciple of Mark Hyman's and I'm a big disciple of the untethered soul. And I've told a lot of people about that book and, and a lot of them have come back to me with the same conclusions on how much it's helped them. So you said it was life-changing. Does an example come to mind, you know, something you were doing pre untethered soul and, and what that looked like post untethered soul? I think the biggest thing is Ben just one is not having, I didn't have, I don't have expectations. I think is one of the biggest takeaways for me, or the other part of that is if I have a reaction to something really questioning why I'm reacting the way that I am or why I'm feeling the emotion that I'm feeling and questioning it, um, not judging it, but just questioning it and sitting with it. And I think that through that process, it's allowed me to work through a, a, a lot of trauma that quite honestly, I never really thought that I had. I've learned that we all have it, but you know, I, I grew up with a father who was pretty demanding and I've realized that being able to sit with my emotions in, in these energies that I would feel as an athlete and that I would feel even after I got done playing, being able to sit with those emotions and question it and be curious about it has been liberating in a lot of ways. A lot of moments in my life or situations to where I would feel uneasy or I would feel anxious, I've been able to kind of work through those things. And now I don't feel as anxious in those same moments. And it's something I continue to work on. And it's something that I've actually, I've talked to my girls about. They're 19 and 20 years old. And knowing that, like I said, that we all have it and the sooner and the earlier they can understand it, the better served they'll be. I'm glad I discovered it when I did. I wish I had found it back when I was in my thirties. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, it seems like more professional athletes are opening up to mindfulness and meditation. You think he would have made you a better player? It's a great question. It would have made me a different player. 
I know that. It would have made me a different leader. I've had this conversation with some of my close teammates, and I've gone on some of their podcasts, and they've talked about how demanding I was as a quarterback. And I'll be honest, in some ways, I'm not proud of that because I feel that's a different person than I am now. And so I, in those podcasts, I've said, yeah, you know, I'm not real thrilled about that. I probably should apologize about some of those things. And they said, what are you talking about? You know, we wouldn't have accomplished what we accomplished if you hadn't have been the way you were. And so I don't know the answer to that part. There's a big part of me that thinks we would have still accomplished what we accomplished. I would have just done it a little bit differently. I, I don't think I would have been any less competitive or demanding. I just would have presented it a little bit differently or framed it differently. So that's, yeah, that's something that I've wrestled with, you know, as to what kind of player would I have been had I have discovered it a lot sooner. You know, you mentioned your accomplishments and, and in prepping for this interview, I found an interview you did with Texas Monthly Magazine back in 1998 and said on the night of that first Super Bowl victory, you delayed attending a party with your teammates, instead ordering beer from room service and sitting alone in your hotel room for a couple hours. And, and this is the quote from you. I kept thinking back to the time when I was a teenager, how I thought that all my problems in life would be solved at the moment I turned 16 and was able to get a car. And then here I was at the top of my professional football game and I found myself thinking, now what, now what? When I read this, I, I, I was blown away. I, I said to myself, this, this is all about enjoying the journey. What's your take looking at this quote from 24 years ago? I, I remember the quote well. I remember the moment well. And I remember back how I felt when I was 16. I mean, I, I just had, I'd always thought prior to turning 16 that anyone who had a driver's license and could drive, they how could they ever have another problem in their life? You know, that's like the greatest, you know, you, you can drive a car. I mean, how good is that? And, and then of course we all turned 16. We realized that we still have problems. And it was a reminder to me when we won our first Super Bowl, because as the number one overall pick in the 1989 draft, you're drafted where you are to win a world championship for your organization. And, and there's a part of me that felt that once I do that, then my athletic life will be complete. And we won a Super Bowl. In fact, we won three Super Bowls. And yet at the end of my career, I was booed off the field. So I mean, I think that, you know, there was a game where they, where I was booed. So you realize, I think it all kind of puts it into perspective. And to your point and what I've learned, not just through the untethered soul, but what I've learned over the last few years as my practice in meditation and mindfulness and, and remaining present has grown is that happiness isn't something you acquire. Happiness isn't something you necessarily achieve. Happiness is just being in the moment and appreciating where you are at that moment in time. And, you know, there's a, when you're young, there's a feeling, and we've all heard it, we see it all through social media that, you know, hey, once this happens, then I'll be happy. Once I achieve this, then I'll be happy. Once the kids grow up, then, you know, then I'll have, be able to do the things that I want to do. And then how much happier will I be? All those, all those things. And then life passes you by because there's always that next step that you're waiting for that's going to make you happy. And so I have found contentment, quite honestly, for the longest time for me was a four letter word, but it's not any longer. You know, I'm still 
very motivated. I'm still very driven, but I find real contentment in, in my life. I, I have stillness in my life. And I think that's probably the best word that I can use when I talk about my practice and meditation and what it's provided me. It's given me, it's given me stillness. And that's something that was elusive for me, you know? And so it's, it's provided a calm that, that I'm happy, you know, I'm, and I don't know, I've always thought I was happy, but I think reflecting back, you know, maybe I wasn't, but I, I have true happiness and, and peace in my life. And it's just a great time where I'm at right now and wouldn't trade any of it for anything. And your meditation practice, what does that look like on a daily basis? Yeah. So I, I do it first thing in the morning and I make a point. One thing I don't do is I don't set an alarm unless I just absolutely have to be up for some reason. I don't set an alarm and I'll wake up anywhere between six and seven o'clock. And I don't because I, I just have realized how important sleep is. I, I make sleep a real priority. So as soon as I wake up, I, I then meditate for 30 minutes and I do that each day. And if for some reason, timing wise, if I were to wake up at seven o'clock because of what my schedule is, that trying to fit in 30 minutes of meditation would be tough then I will set an alarm and, you know, I, I make that a priority as well. So I just do it and, and I don't, do, I, I try to remain, I, I try to do the meditational practices during the course of a day as I'm doing chores or doing things and, you know, using that as a opportunity to be mindful, but actually sitting and meditating, I do that for 30 minutes each morning. And for that morning meditation, is there a specific practice? Is it uh, mantra based or mindfulness based or Vipat like which which specific practice? I'm curious. I've done the, it's really more mindfulness based and I guess yeah. focusing on my breath as much as anything. And I've learned, I've tried the guided meditations and those are great, but I've, I, I just tend to like the silence as much as anything. And, and then there was a period where, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I, there was a period where I thought, well, if you had thoughts that wasn't good. And then you go back to your breath where I'm at now and tell me if you agree or disagree, but is that I'm okay having thoughts as long as I'm aware I'm having the thoughts, you know, as long as I'm mindful of the thoughts that I'm having, then I just kind of observe them and get curious about why I'm thinking about those things, but I don't get lost in the thought. It, well said. I, I think anyone who claims they can truly empty their mind yeah, I, you know, maybe it's a Buddhist monk sitting, uh, sitting on top of a mountain in Himalayas, but yeah, I, 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 it's almost impossible. So I think the idea of being self-aware and saying, "There's a thought. Why is it here? Okay, thought. Right. Try to let it go. Let's try to get back. Here's another yeah. thought. It's just like awareness." Yep. You know, building off this idea of you know happiness and something you've you have this stillness and awareness and. Something I'm curious about, whether it's a professional athlete or a celebrity or, or an influencer on social media, you know, I've read so many pieces that their, their identity is wrapped up. There's their identity, their self-worth is, is, is wrapped up in, in that notoriety, those likes, those, that applause. And that if that is your vehicle for happiness you're going to really end up struggling. And, and I'm yeah. curious your perspective, you know, having played professional football and I'm sure you, you keep in touch with people you've played with. Why do you think it is 
that some people really struggle post-playing and others seem to be, seem to thrive? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think some of it, probably a lot of it has to do with, with the personality of the person, you know, and there's some that kind of feed off of that. There's others that don't necessarily require it. I, I, I don't know that I know the answer to that totally. I will say that for me, I always wanted to be a professional athlete, but it wasn't necessarily because I wanted fame and maybe that's good for me, my post career, but also I do know what you're saying, that there's a lot of athletes that get out of the game and, and are lost for a while and some are lost for a long time. Um, I, I don't know how much of that is because of the notoriety of being a professional athlete or as much as it is just that being a professional athlete is so intense to, to do it at the level that we did it, you know, and then what exactly replaces that? And there's a lot that goes into being a part of a professional football team. And you've got a group of players that all have a common goal and the workouts are intense and the commitment is, is significant and the achievement when it's accomplished is great. And there's a lot of attention that comes with that. There's a lot of rewards that come with that and benefits that come from that. And then trying to replicate that or find something that can fill that void is really hard for some. For me, I think it could have been hard, but I was fortunate in that I was able to move from the playing field right into the broadcast booth that immediately created this challenge for me. And I think even, even though I don't feel that I'm one who seeks the spotlight, it's continued to give me a platform and, and give me a visibility on a national scale that I didn't just have to put everything away that I had been as a professional quarterback. You know, I still have some level of relevance. So I think that's helped me and whereas others aren't, I mean, I, I, so that's why I've been able to kind of work through that, but I know others aren't quite as fortunate in finding something that really kind of captures their attention and, and requires them to learn something new and invigorates them and all the things that go with that. I was able to do that. So I'm very blessed because of it. Well, I also think culturally we tend to put people in boxes. You know, okay, you're Troy Aikman, you're Hall of Fame NFL quarterback, or you're Troy Aikman, I'm a broadcaster, or whatever it might be. I think we, we just tend to do that culturally. I'm curious for you specifically, it seems like you don't, I would, I would guess, you, you don't think of yourself as just, I'm Troy Aikman, Hall of Fame quarterback. You're doing, you know, we're going to uh, talk about some of your other works. How, how do you think? of yourself at this stage in your life and your career? Yeah, well, I, you're right. I don't think of myself as even Troy Aikman, the former NFL quarterback. I, I just, you know, my football career was really important to me. I'm very proud of it. Like I said earlier, it was a dream of mine to be a professional athlete. And I was able to realize that dream and accomplished a lot. And so I don't minimize any of that, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> And, and I just don't want to be content, you know, I, I hope that when my days come to an end, that there's more that's said about me than, you know, he won three Super Bowls and played for the Dallas Cowboys that, you know, I would like to have at the top of that list that he was a great father and raised two really great girls. You know, that's, what's most important to me. So even now I know there's a, I know I'm most known for my football career, 
and I get asked still a lot of questions about my playing days. I'm, I don't know that those days, I don't know that those conversations will ever come to an end, but I get, I do get a little bored talking about them, you know, cause I've done it for a really long time. So I, I view me now as, uh, I, I don't want to be defined by what I do. I, I want to be defined by who I am and what I am. Although most people, other than those that are close to me, they don't get to see that part of me, you know? So, so I think that's what happens in that too. So, so let me ask you this here for any football fan or just, you're pretty visible. You're a big guy. You six, four, six, six, three, like six, four, if, yeah. if I see Troy Aikman walking down the street. I'm going to say that's Troy Aikman. And so let's help some people out. So if someone wants to come up to you and start a conversation, sounds like they shouldn't ask you about your playing days. What would you rather have a conversation about with someone? Oh, well, I, the conversation that you and I are having is interesting to me. You know, I mean, I think where I get, I think the conversations regarding health and wellness, mindfulness, nutrition, I, I think those conversations about how can we be better people are engaging conversations for me, you know, as opposed to, Hey, tell me what it was like in that championship game back in 1995, you know, I mean, but, <laughs> but I get it that people don't know all that much about, you know, I, I think like you said, coming on that you thought, wow, you're the, you're one of the last people that I would think would be coming on this podcast. <laughs> I, I think that you, you speak the sentiments of, of a lot of America. <laughs> I think that there are some other people further down the list. Maybe Leon okay. Lett would be further down the list or, you know, there's some <laughs> other pro athletes like a put further down, but <laughs> so, you know, in terms of health and wellness, you know, we're talking about mindfulness, meditation, you mentioned, you know, not only exercising the body, but exercising the brain. And so I'd be remiss not to ask about, you know, traumatic brain injury, CTE, it's a, it's a, it's a real problem. We know a lot more today than we did when you were playing. And so how do you think about that? I don't give it a lot of thought. I, 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 I'd be dishonest if I didn't say I give it, I don't give it some thought, uh, because I do. And I do mostly when I'm around former players that I know are having some issues. And I did have a number of concussions. I think the number was seven uh, or eight. I think other than two, they were relatively minor. I, I say that with an asterisk because I know that any type of head injury is not insignificant. But one of the things that I think broadcasting has allowed me to do is, is kind of keep a check on where I'm at with that, because there's so much recall that's required that it, it, it helps in that after a ball game where I'm able to recall information or players or whatever it might be that I can say, Hey, you know, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm doing fine. So I, I, I do monitor it, so to speak. I've had exams, I've had tests. And my tests have been really positive. They've come a long way from, like you said, from back when I played. But yeah, I'm hopeful that as I continue to age, that does not become an issue for me. And so far at 55, it has not. But I know there's others that I played with and against that are even younger than I am that are having, having real issues. So it's something that the NFL continues to address, but it's a physical sport. There's going to continue to be head injuries as we've seen, and the impact of that, I think is still a bit of an unknown that they're still discovering. Yeah. And, you know, I, one, I think if you had a problem, I think you'd 
from what my, from my understanding, you probably know by now. And two, you mentioned you know, being in the broadcast booth and recall, your brain's a muscle. You got to exercise it. Yeah. And, and not that like recall exercises are going to, uh, save you from cognitive decline, but, the, but there, a lot of people believe that, you know, you, you have to put your brain to work. And if your brain was perfectly hundred percent healthy and you just, you know, sat on the couch all day and wa watch TV, you probably start to deteriorate. And I believe, you know, lifestyle of course plays into that as well. I think exercise helps. I think nutrition helps. I think, you know, there's a lot of life, life choices. I think that we can all take on that, that either can help with cognitive function or can hurt. I'm curious, like, is there any, you know, obviously being in the broadcast booth, is there anything else you do specifically for, for cognitive health? No, but if, if I read something that Dr. Mark Hyman suggests, I'll be doing it. I'll tell you. <laughs> well, you, you said you have, you're having your wild seven, your omega threes. So that's right. That's, that's, that's a good one. Yep. My list of supplements each morning is growing. I mean, I, it's just the, it, you know, I'm going <laughs> to. There's going to be a time I'm not going to be able to hold it all in one hand, you know? We'll have to send you some of ours. We'll offline about after the That'd show. That'd be great. We'll, we'll help you condense. Okay. I'm the same way. I get to a place where, so I, I'm, you know, I get 28 vials of blood twice a year. I got the aura. I got the whoop. I, you know, I'm, I'm not 55 and 47, but like, you know, I, and my girls also are younger than yours. So we have a three-year-old and five-year-old. So. I want to be around and for a yeah. while and play with them. And so I sure. really think long and hard about health span. So with that said, with me with supplements, I, I get to this point where sometimes we'll go a little too far where, you know, 15 capsules turns into 30. Then I'm like, all right, we gotta, we gotta pare this down. We gotta pare this down. We could consolidate over here. So, but after the show, we'll have to get you some of ours to try out. If you could go back in time when you were playing. You know, look, there's, we had an author, Dan Pink on here. He, he wrote a book about the power of regrets and that re regrets were good. You know, this idea of, you know, every, you know, no regrets, not healthy to some degree. You know, if you could go back in time and, and maybe regrets a strong word, if you could go back in time and maybe give yourself advice in those early playing days under the, the lens of the context of this show, you know, we're talking about nutrition, health and wellness. If you could go back in time in your playing days and give yourself some health and wellness advice, what would that be? Oh man. Well, first of all, I would say that I want to read this book. Uh, you know, I think that's an interesting premise that regrets are good. I don't disagree, but I'd like to dive a little deeper into that. Well, he says, oh. I'll, I'll make a note. There's a difference. It's this idea of having regret, understanding what happened, being aware and taking and learning. learning from it. And yeah. making a change versus dwelling on it and beating yourself up. And, yeah. you know, it's, so it's like this idea of recognizing, being aware, change. Yeah. So I think to, you know, you touched on it in that explanation that I think is what I would do because I've learned it. I've learned it here in the last few years. You know, I think I was, I think I've been, I don't like the word, but I think it's a, applicable to me. I, I think I'd been a perfectionist and I think it's what drove me and, but I don't think that's good. I don't think that's a positive. I, I don't, I, I think few people do these days, but back then, like I said, I didn't view myself that way, but what I do know now is that I do give myself grace. You know, I expected myself to be perfect in everything. So that's a high bar, you know, and it's not realistic. And so even if it meant that I was doing something that 
I had, you know, it's one thing if my expectation was to be perfect throwing a football or to be a perfect quarterback, even though that's not uh, attainable either. But it, what it turned into was no matter what it was that I was doing, if I was given a speech or if I was, you know, what I'm doing, whatever I was doing, I, I expected myself to be great at it. And now I, I feel like I give myself grace. I, it's okay not to be great. It's okay not to be. And I don't say that apologetically. I don't say that then that, hey, it's okay just to be okay and not give all your effort, you know? So there's a difference, as you know. But I've now learned that, you know, you give it your best, you put all your effort and energy into it. And if you come up short or you don't quite meet your expectations, learn from it and try to be better, but don't beat yourself up over it. And so I think that's probably, I probably beat myself up too much when, as, as an athlete and back when I was playing. And in terms of trying to do your best, something that's always top of mind for me, as I mentioned, I've got, I've got two girls. They're much younger than yours. Yours are on their way to becoming women. Any advice for a girl dad like me in terms of raising two oh, girls? Girl dads are, that's the best. That's the <laughs> best. You know, I don't plan on having any more children. Uh, but if I did, I'd want them to be girls. I was a single father and, and read a lot of books and how then do you handle young girls when you're raising them? And what I learned is Girls get their self-esteem and their confidence from their fathers and which made me feel good, you know, that I had that kind of influence on them and could help them in that way. And so I guess my advice, Jason, would be that what I tried to do was treat them the way that I would hope that their future boyfriend or future husband would treat them or that that would then become the expectation on their part. Like, Hey, this is how I deserve to be treated. And I remember I'm an, I'm kind of old school. I'm old fashioned. I open doors for ladies. You know, I let them walk in front. I don't ever walk in front of a lady and you know, all those things. And so when my girls were real young, I would, I always opened their doors for them when we were getting in the car and my youngest, Allie, it became kind of a game with her. She wanted to beat me to the car to open her own door. And and I had to explain to her, look, dad opened your door and someday, you know, you're going to be dating someone and they're going to open your door too. And that's just the way this works. And, and hopefully some of the things that I've tried to, and how I've tried to treat them will carry over then in how they expect to be treated from their significant other in future years. Yeah. It's, you know, I think of, you read the news and there's so many alarming statistics around girls, self-harm, yeah. especially coming out of the, the pandemic, anxiety, and it's just, ours are so young. I'm hoping things get a lot better, but for sure, you know, always top of mind, how do you develop like a girl grows up to be a woman who's, you know, confident, has self-esteem, self-aware, kind. Who cares where they go to school? You know, obviously, you know, we value school, but you know, you want a, a kind, self-confident, you know, self-aware kid. Yeah. I, you know, I feel that I feel I've been fortunate in a lot of ways, but with that, my, I feel that is my girls. I, I feel that they're, you know, they're good, kind, happy girls, but I will say that it's become harder. I think it's become, you know, with your girls and the world we're in with social media, my girls dealt, deal with it and they dealt with it, but it's only becoming more uh, of a factor in their lives that it's hard. I mean, it's hard to try to 
I don't know, regulate that a little bit, but the expectation, I think, when we're only presenting our best self, you know, that has a real impact on young people. My wife, Colleen, who's my co-founder and co-CEO, we've been recently on Hulu watching the Kardashians, just trying to understand the phenomenon. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, let me know if you figure it out. <laughs> we're working on it. We're going to have to get back okay. to you on that one. So coming back full circle, you know, we started in nutrition and, you know, your passion for health and wellness, and this has led to an exciting new venture. You know, you launched a new beer, Eight Elite Lager. It's a great beer. I've had it. You, you guys were so kind to send me some, and I like a good beer. I don't drink nearly as much as I used to when I was younger. You know, these days, one, maybe two after a meal or during a meal is fantastic. Back then, it would maybe be a case. Yeah, yeah. Well, you and I, yeah, we're on parallel tracks. <laughs> but it's a great beer. And you think about health and wellness, nutrition, a lot of beers. You know, I think a lot of people want to have a drink here and there. And then there are a lot of crappy ingredients. You look at beers, there's high fructose corn syrup. It's just crap. And, and I saw the label. I was like, wow, this is actually a really good, clean label. Yeah. Troy and his team, they know what they're doing. So, so yeah. let's talk about the beer. Yeah, so what you said is exactly right. I met my partners through a mutual friend several years ago, one of whom, Doug Campbell, uh, has had a career in the beer business. I was president of Almagain Brewery. And, you know, we started talking about whether uh, we wanted to make a beer. I, I worked at a distributorship back in college. I've endorsed on a national level beer had a couple different campaigns and I said, you know, I, 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 yeah, I'm, I mean, I like beer. I'm a beer guy, it, but we'd have to, in order to do it, I just think if you're going to do something, do it because you think you can do it better than what's on the market. And so that was kind of our mission. And over the course of two and a half years, ultimately eight was born. And you were right that, you know, our, the thing, what makes eight different than anything else that's on the market is we have no adjuncts and no fillers. We don't add any corn or rice or syrup or sugars. It's an all malt beer. And yet we're still at just 90 calories and 2.6 carbs. And those measurables are important to a lot of people. They're certainly important to me. I'm not going to stand here and say that beer is good for you, but eight is a better for you beer for the reasons that I just said. 100% organic grains. We use antioxidants. So I do feel that we did it better than what's on the market. And I'm really proud of it. And so the people that we targeted with it are the people like myself and like yourself. And, you know, just about everybody who's listening to this podcast are people that take health and wellness seriously, that wake up each day and want to be better, a better version of themselves or do something better than they had done it the day before and put in the work and are willing to, to, to put in the time that's required. And then I, I believe balance is important. I, I, I think beer brings people together and also beer is great to celebrate life's victories and those moments with family and friends. And so if you're one who enjoys beer and you want to be able to have a beer and not compromise all the work that's put in during the week uh, or whatever it is that's important to you, then I think eight is a pretty good choice because of the fact that we don't have all the adjuncts and fillers that so many of these beers on the market do. Well, it is a great choice. I, I, to reiterate, I, I was very impressed with the label and it actually tastes really great. So congratu congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Troy, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you.